Welcome to Ignite Your Business Radio Show. Light the match, throw some gasoline on, and buckle up because we're about to take your business to the next level. I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. I'm a graphic designer at heart with over 23 years of experience founding and running my own web and marketing agency, helping our clients all around the world. My passion for the journey, talking with and helping entrepreneurs is what brings me here today. And I get fired up when I talk with small to medium sized business owners about their journey. So let's get right into it. For the month of March, we're going to be taking a look at a diverse group of entrepreneurs with one important thing in common. All of them have developed tools that seek to change the way we build and manage a business. These are programs, software, and other examples that endeavor to make communication more streamlined, give you more options to evolve your business, and show you how to unlock your true potential as an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs come from every imaginable background. However, there are some things all of us have in common. The fear of taking that first step. For those who want to write a book, start a podcast in support of that book, the task of simply getting started can strike you as a daunting one, to say the least. How do you begin? LinkedIn can be a great resource for making both of these goals come true. However, what do you do to stand out? How do you use LinkedIn to do more than simply network with other entrepreneurs and businesses, or as many see it as using it for finding a job? or finding a new team member. Consider the value of coaching services. Within a US market value of 1.02 billion, that's billion with a B, in 2016 alone, coaching has become a significant business unto itself. The best coaches can help entrepreneurs take those first steps, build a foundation up for success, and move forward. Created by Scott Aaron, Expert Authority is a program designed to help you draw resources from LinkedIn you didn't even know were there. There are a lot of titles you can connect to the name of Scott Aaron. That is to say the least. He is an entrepreneur, a podcaster, an international speaker, and highly successful author. However, it is his work as a personal coach to businesses and other entrepreneurs that brings him to the show today. It is indeed that coaching experience which led him to become the co-founder of Export Authority, a program built around specifically taking your LinkedIn goals to the next level, particularly those who want to bring their podcasts and book dreams to reality. How can you take advantage of Scott's experience with LinkedIn via this program? I'm looking forward to talking to Scott about that exact thing. So Scott, welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, Josh. Uh, it's a pleasure and honor to be here and, and looking forward to diving in. Awesome. All right, let's jump right into it. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, I, I could have probably spent the entire episode in itself describing all of your accolades and abilities that you have <laughs> as a business owner, but I just don't feel like that does it justice. So I want to hear from the man himself and have you share with us uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah. So what I'm doing now is completely different from uh, what I did in the, the beginning of my career. So uh, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. So I tell people that uh, I've been psychologically unemployable since day one. So um, I've never had a boss um, and never will. 
And I was kind of thrown into the fire of entrepreneurship. And it kind of happened from uh, a pretty, pretty pivotal moment in my life. I was uh, 18 going on 19. I was a sophomore at the University of Pittsburgh, um, really trying to find my direction. Um, the only direction I really had at the time was from what part one party to the next party. That was the only direction that my body would end up taking me. So really having an idea of where I wanted to go business wise wasn't really top of mind at that time. And I was being a kid and enjoying life. So what ended up happening was my, I'm a third, almost fourth generation entrepreneur, I should say. My great grandfather uh, came over from Eastern Europe in the early 1900s. He was a butcher in South Philadelphia. Uh, my grandfather uh, was a pharmacologist and pharmacist for over 55 years until he retired and actually had his own pharmacies. My father followed suit, became a pharmacist, had his own pharmacy called Scott's Pharmacy after I was born, but also did other industrial type businesses and and now me. So entrepreneurship has, has been in my, uh, my DNA literally since even before I was conceived. And my father... Um, in the mid nineties transitioned out of owning his own business and then began working for a company overseeing and managing multiple locations. So more in a, uh, managerial, um, managerial type role. But what really changed was actually what came from that, which my father ended up getting caught up in a, uh, $9.5 million insurance fraud case which when all was said and done, uh, landed him in federal prison for two and a half years. And before he went away, there was about an eight month time period between sentencing and when he went away. And to prepare the family, he, he basically purchased a, a failing gym in downtown Philadelphia uh, that wasn't doing well, but that was part of his passion. He was a health and wellness nut. He did some bodybuilding. Um, he's still to this day, uh, he'll be 69 in December. He just turned 68 uh, about three months ago. And he holds a couple world and national records for bench press for uh, the 65 to 69 age category. Um, he's ranked number one in the world in his weight class and, and age. And it's still a part of his everyday life. He got me into bodybuilding and you know that's that's a whole other story. But when my father went away, the keys to the gym were turned over to me as a 19-year-old kid, not having any experience uh, of how to grow a business, how to build a business, how to lead people, how to manage and operate a business. And yep. the best way to learn something is to get thrown directly into it. And I always tell people that you know, sometimes you're, you're dealt hands in life that may not look that good, but you have to play it anyway. And I had to play that hand. Things worked out for the better. Uh, grew the gym substantially while my father was away. One gym turned into two gyms. We sold them for a million dollars in 2003. 2004, uh, we opened up our third and final gym. But there were some caveats within that because I was the only one left with credit at that time due to my father's obvious financial past. And sure. I had to take the financial burden of this entire gym, which I didn't really know what that meant. Signed on the dotted line where I was told to sign. 
<laughs> but I ended up in $1.5 million of liability debt five years later. And it was another hole Jeez. that I had to crawl out of. But, you know, I only know one mentality, and that is to, to keep moving forward. And, you know, all these bumps and bruises that we take through life are the armor that we need to, to put on every single day in order to, to flow through life like water. And I never saw any of these things as negatives. There were positives from all of it. In 2013, I, I pivoted. I was a very successful personal trainer and sports nutritionist. I did corporate wellness speaking. Uh, I, I've been coaching people you know, now for almost 23 years. It's what I do best. I, I like hmm. hearing people's problems and providing a solution for it, whether it was writing up a diet plan, a workout routine, now structured to how to use LinkedIn or how to write a book, launch your podcast, whatever it is. I have a blueprint for everything sure. at this point. And, and all it is, is just plugging people into what I've done. In 2013, uh, I was turned on to the, the world of online marketing which I knew really nothing about. I was using social media since 2008, 2009. If I want to go really far back, you know, before MySpace, there was something called Friendster, which I don't know if anybody Friendster, remembers yep, Friendster, yep. but that was even, that, that was, that was before MySpace. So that was like yes. 1990. I'm dating myself now, um, but <laughs> a really long time ago. So, so I, I understood the power of, of online, but also the power of connection. So, between 2013 and 2015, I, I grew a very, very successful online wellness practice and pivoted within that time period onto LinkedIn because I saw the changes that were happening to Facebook and Instagram and how it was becoming more about lifestyle and showing as much skin as possible just for likes and turning it into the yep. reality TV show of what it is today. You know, the narcissism, the sociopathic tendencies that people have on the platforms, it just didn't resonate or feel good to me. And that's when I kind of started to slide over into LinkedIn because I wanted to connect with more business-minded people. Uh, professionals, mm. people that really wanted to do meaningful things and make meaningful connections. And just like any routine that I had written for someone dietary wise or nutrition wise or workout wise in what I was doing to use LinkedIn to create more momentum in my business, I created another program and another system. And I started teaching people that. And the last six and a half years has been this uh, dream uh, of, of, of a life that my wife and I are now living because of the amount of lives that we've touched and impacted with what we do on LinkedIn and how we serve our communities. And, uh, you know, left the, the gym game uh, back in 2016, so almost five years removed now, which feels great. Um, <laughs> It wasn't easy to get rid of. I, I had to file for personal bankruptcy because I was financially attached to the lease of the gym. And uh, it was honestly the best decision I ever made. My, my lawyer said, listen, on a scale of one to 10, you know, 10 being a slam dunk, one being don't do it. He goes, you're a 9.5. This is your opportunity to start your life over. And it, it, it was. Uh, I was able to start living out my dream and not my father's dream, which was the fitness industry. I just found my way through it. 
and came out better on the other side and you know credits repaired we bought our dream home two dream cars you know living life on our own terms and you know your failures always open the doors to your successes and and that's what we're doing today that's awesome and that that was a great episode thank you so much for coming no i'm kidding that uh no, that was <laughs> great information you shared uh you obviously have there's no good way to condense that story without sharing even with what you shared was a condensed version of it. Uh, but you, again, that's why I wanted you to say it, not me, because I probably would have missed half of those items in there. I want to touch on something that you kind of shared, and I don't know if it's just because of the, the recent uh, everyone's talking about with the Royals in the news uh, recently with the Meghan Markle and uh, you know the Royal family's uh, recent Prince interview. Harry, yeah. But yeah, Prince Harry. Uh, but it, as you were kind of describing this, it kind of reminded me of what we know of a lot of, even going back to emperor days, that you had these monarchies that would go through these stages where, you know, the at that time they didn't live very long, but the elder would pass away. And then all of a sudden the kid is being forced into the role, not having a lot of training leading up to it. I mean, some had more training than others, but Oftentimes it's like, here you go. You need to sit in that seat. Now you're going to make some big boy decisions right now. And it, like you said, it's going through that process of being thrown into. You're either going to sink or you're going to swim. And you've got to make the decision at that point, even with probably as immature as you were at that time. Looking back at it, I'm sure you would agree that I was very immature as I was at when I started my business at 18, 19, 19 years old. So uh, it's interesting that correlation of having that ingrained in your DNA and kind of having that almost uh, kingdom approach where it's the the young ones thrown into that seat and having to figure it out in real time. But uh, thank you for sharing that. And you obviously have gone through uh, a lot of struggles, but it sounds like you've also successfully figured things out along the way and you've adapted, you've changed as you've learned things uh, throughout the process. All right, so fast forwarding, now we're in 2021. We're actually wrapping up the tail end of the first quarter, uh, which I can't believe I'm even saying those words. Uh, but how have things been for you in these first few months, of the first quarter, as it's wrapping up in the uh, month of March for 2021 for you? I, my wife and I were actually talking about this uh, earlier this week. This has been our most successful quarter of our company's history. That's fantastic. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, you know, 2019 was our best financial year. Um, we had a, a 40% growth from 2018 to 2019. And wow. even with that growth that we had going into 2020, and, and we were off and running in 2020, the first quarter, we were rocking it last year. And then obviously COVID yep. hit and we had to pivot. Um, but we closed out really, really strong um, in 2020. We, I think we only, um, I think we only dropped maybe by 15, 18% from last year, which uh, from what we did in, in 2019 was a huge victory. It was our second best financial year. So sure. I will take that every day of the week. And <laughs> that the, the momentum that we had at the fourth quarter of last year literally spilled 
all over the first quarter of of this year. Um, we had a record uh, January. Um, it was our our first six figure month, and it was uh, one of those things that we just pinched ourselves that you know we're doing good work, we're helping uh, a lot of people, and it's it's just the beginning. So we are so fired up and just so blessed and grateful for everything that we're doing right now. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, so let's go back to college days, the the party town. Uh, party environment. Now, uh, I would imagine some of it might be a little bit blurry with kind of what you alluded to as your experience in college, that some of it may be a little hazy, uh, a little little inebriation involved there that uh, might make it a little harder to Say remember, or even that you want to come on the show and uh, own up to for that matter. So we'll, we'll leave those be, let those demons lie where they are. Uh, so you go from being really undecided at the university of Pittsburgh to studies in degrees in human services and human resources. I'm sure Mm -hmm. when you took those on and you're relaying this information back to your dad at that time that he was like, uh, what, what, why are you going into this? What? Do you, you know what your great grandfather and then your grandfather and then what I have put into place and you're going into human resources? Uh, so my question for you is what motivated the interest in working directly <laughs> with people and not pursuing the family business? Well, I, I was. So when I left University of Pittsburgh, uh, I re-enrolled at Temple University um, because it was only... Uh, six and a half miles from where the gym was. Um, okay. My my junior year, uh, my sophomore and junior year, I actually was commuting. Uh, I was still living at home. So I grew up in, in Conshohocken, uh, Plymouth meeting area, which is about 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia. And our gym was downtown. So I actually would wake up at six o'clock every morning. I would drive to Ambler, Pennsylvania, which is about 15 minutes away from my parents' house. And then after, I would go to class till noon. And then I would drive from Ambler all the way down to Philadelphia uh, to get there by about 1, 1.30. And I would work all day. And then eventually, when my, my credits built up, uh, my senior year, uh, which was in 2001, 2002, I transferred to main campus down in Center City, Philadelphia, which was very, very uh, convenient for me because I didn't have to do a double sure. drive. Uh, I basically would still wake up at six. I would drive right into the city, park at Temple, go to class till noon, and it was a 15-minute drive to the gym. And you know, after I graduated, I ended up moving uh, into Old City, which is the location of where my gym was. So how the whole HR thing came about was I, I was studying a lot of recruitment and retention in mm. one of my economics classes, which was complete in alignment uh, with the gym. Because when you when yep. you grow a gym, it's all about re- recruiting new members and retaining that residual membership base. But what yep. really, how I chose HR as my degree, I, clear as day, remember this. I, I remember sitting in my advisor's office and it was... We were choosing classes for my senior year, my last year. And, 
you know, I, I had I had classes picked out and she goes, listen, she goes, Scott, you know, we, we can we can run with these classes. But do you plan on graduating this year? And I said, yeah, I'm just you know, it had been five years. I mean, I, I, I just, I partied my ass off at, at Pitt. I didn't, I lost 30 credits transferring from Pitt to Temple. I went to community college in between to try to make up some, you know, and I'm a very dedicated person. So I had to make up a full year's worth of credits. So when I, when I went to community college and then transferred to Temple, I actually went to Temple for two years straight, 24 straight months. I, I went um, spring, summer, summer, fall, spring, summer, summer, fall. So I didn't stop. I literally had to make up during those two summers, 30 credits. So I would take three classes each summer session, one summer session, two for two years to graduate in five years, which I did. Yeah. It was intense. It was real intense, but I did it. And, and I, cause I didn't want to be in school for six or seven years. I just wanted to get that degree. My mom graduated from temple, uh, my father graduated from the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy, and they didn't force college on me, but I had already taken out the student loans. I might as well use them. Um, as well. So I was sitting at, I was sitting in my advisor's office, and she goes, you do plan on graduating this year? And I said, yeah, of course. And she goes, are you going to pick a major? And, and I said, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm, I'm a business major. I'm, 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 I'm at the Fox School of Business. And she goes, yes, you are, you are in the Fox School of Business but you need to pick a focal area within the Fox School of Business so you can actually graduate. And I was like, oh man, really? Um, I was like, so with the classes that I've taken, what am I closest to graduating with? And she said, you're two classes away from qualifying for a degree in HR. I'm like, done, sold, sign me up. So (laughs) that's basically how I became an HR major. That's kind of like going on a marathon and and you've been training, you've been working your tail off, you're in the race, you're running three quarter marks. Someone turns you that's running. So which, which race are you uh, trying to accomplish here? And you're like, uh, well, I mean, isn't it clear? I'm in a marathon. No, no, no. Which, which marathon are you actually running right now? Oh, I didn't know I need Which is the soonest one? Because I'm about to pass out. If I don't, whatever the soonest one is, just let me get to that line yeah. and I will feel accomplished. I will feel like this wasn't all a yeah. wasted endeavor for me. So that's, wow. Yeah. That, uh, that explains it. That's, uh, I was not expecting that reasoning, but that makes a whole lot of sense. So thank you for sharing yeah, that. It just, that's funny. <laughs> oh, wow. Fell into my lap. <laughs> All right. Well, we just struck the match on our conversation with Scott Aaron. When we come back from this short commercial break, we're going to throw some gasoline on our conversation and get into Scott's marketing tactics for expert authority. We'll be back after this quick message from our sponsor. Welcome back to Ignite Your Business Radio Show. I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. We're back with Scott Aaron, co-founder of the Expert Authority Program. Scott, I just I want to get into the challenges of marketing, not only the Expert Authority Program, uh, but also your coaching ability and, and the expertise that you bring along with that. So 
What are some of the most effective ways to market something like the expert authority? Is it blogging? Is it social media? I have to imagine it takes multifaceted approach when it comes to your organization and how to get the word out there. The best answer is all of the above. <laughs> there, okay. It's <laughs> it, it's not one clear cut channel, and and the way that my wife and I, you know, really get the word out about our you know expert authority program and all the other things that we do under that umbrella. It's a combination of a multitude of things. Uh, my books, um, our podcast, my podcast, our social media channels, our Facebook groups, our email lists, our blogs. Um, we When we do uh, free trainings, there are so many different aspects to getting yourself out there because, you know, social media has become saturated. It's it's. It's a it's a dog eat dog world. I mean, there's a, a lot of people doing a lot of things and everyone is looking to to gain the attention and visibility required in order to to really achieve those things. So you do have to be everywhere all at once. And obviously, my wife and I, we have some not shortcuts, but uh, we use a lot of technology on the back end of what we do to uh, yep. help us stay visible to uh, a lot of our audience but most of what we do is is very organic uh it's just pure consistency and it's that compounded effect that really gives you that visibility and that reach that is going to get what you're doing known by that many more people so wait a second you're saying it's not one magic pill that you're supposed to take in order to be successful with marketing your business I mean, th this is earth shattering news right now. I mean, I feel like we need to do that bulletin sound, you know, for the news. Did it, did it, did it, did it, this just in? Yep. Because I'm shocked by what I'm hearing right now that it's not just one magic thing that you have to do to be successful with marketing your business. <laughs> Said very sarcastically, you know, I, if, if you didn't pick up on yeah. on uh, that tone right there. But <laughs> I'm I'm really sorry if I if I burst any people's bubbles with that statement, but uh, it's the harsh reality. It's it's not one specific thing that is going to do what your business needs to do. It's not one course. It's not one coach. It's not one webinar. It's not one social media channel. It's not one avenue. There are a multitude and many, many things that an online business owner or entrepreneur is required to do at this stage in the game to really get themselves out there. Well, and I think, you know, you being in the marketing world for as long as you have as well, that we both know being in this kind of sandbox, if you will, that uh, COVID has put a lot of pressure on those businesses and industries as a whole that are so accustomed to saying, well, that doesn't work for me. That, no, no, you don't understand. I'm a restaurant. We have people come sit down. We, we don't have to worry about, you know, things like uh, takeout. And that's not, a, we're an upscale restaurant. We don't deal with any of that stuff. They come, they sit down, sit at the bar. It's like, then COVID happened. And then it was, oh, uh, we want to stay in business. So we're going to have to adapt and change our approach on how we do things. And marketing is one of those things as well that have to be adapted 
as life throws you curveball, which all of us got tossed the COVID curveball, uh, we all had to adapt and form another. But I think what you're saying, too, is that you've experienced that it's also good to diversify. It's not just don't bank on just any one particular area of marketing. Diversify yourself, get yourself out there and you'd be pleasantly surprised what even things that you suspected would never work. Low cost, low risk that actually had some return on it. Yeah, you don't know unless you try. And my wife and I are constantly reworking and and retooling and and trying different things to see what works, to see what doesn't work, to see what we can do better, to see what we can shift in a different way, because it's all throwing spaghetti at at the wall and seeing what sticks. A lot of it is not going to stick. And that's just that's just the truth. You know, most of us are throwing spaghetti at the wall and it falls right to the floor. But there are those things that we do that that do stick and, and they do work. And it's those specific things that end up working that you then double down on and triple down on and quadruple yep. down on. And that's how the compounded effect starts to take place. But you you can't get to any specific place in your business if you're not willing to try, which may require you failing a lot in order to learn how to succeed at what you're looking to do. That's so true. I I mean, it's, you hear about it and it's easier to kind of pinpoint this when it comes to celebrities such as, and it always comes to my mind is um, artists in the music world that there's this misconception that people have is like they pop up on the scene out of nowhere and they're instant success or in their mind, they're an instant success. When in reality is, they had to go through a lot of pain, a lot of suffering to get to that point. You just didn't know about them before. Same thing with marketing is businesses, especially small business owners just starting off, look at other ones that are successful and go, wow, how did they hit it luckily so big, so fast? And it's like, you don't understand. They've been around for a long time. You just maybe didn't know about them. You didn't hear about them, but they had to suffer through all of those components. They had to clean up a lot of spaghetti on the floor over time. So in order to get to that point. All right. You and I have talked about LinkedIn uh, before and the misconceptions that come along with it. Um, In our recent conversation that you and I personally had together, uh, it kind of struck me as interesting is, and I want you to share with everyone, what is the number one in your mind misconception of LinkedIn as a platform, social media platform? What is it in your mind? Well, it's two misconceptions. Um, number one, people think it's it's for recruiters to find people to get hired. And part two of that is they think it's for job seekers that are looking to get hired. And at, mm. at one point, I would agree with that statement. Yes, it, it was the monster.com of social media. It absolutely was. Yep. But But when Microsoft bought them out, uh, nearly six plus years ago, changed the game. They wanted it to become uh, a social media channel for high-level networking, high-level opportunities, uh, business relationship building, and an exchange of goods and products and services that the high-level business owners are looking for. And that's exactly what it be- become and what it's now doing. Because here's the an interesting statistic. 
So there's 720 million people on LinkedIn. 80% of the users of LinkedIn are on there purchasing, buying, and spending money from the 20% that are selling them. Hmm. So what side of the coin do you want to be on? Do you want to be on that 20% side that is having 80% of the people on the platform hiring you? Or do you want to be on the other side? So if you're looking to advance your business and close more sales genuinely, authentically, organically, without any costly tactics or tons of marketing spend that you may have to incur uh, using Facebook and Instagram, you're going to need to get on LinkedIn ASAP. So true. It amazes me to this day. I'll talk with uh, even those that we're inviting on the show and I say, hey, what's your LinkedIn profile? And they're like, oh, I don't have one of those. I'm like, what? What are, you, what, what are you talking about? You don't have a LinkedIn profile. Or they're like, well, I have one, but I just kind of set it up initially. And then I didn't add a photo. I didn't add any information to it. I don't really need it because I'm a business owner. If I was getting hired or was looking for a job, sure, I, I'd want to do that. But I don't really need to do that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're missing out on a really big opportunity right here. So it's it you're absolutely right. It it's one of the biggest ones that I see time and time again as well. And I'm sure you see it more, and it probably makes your skin crawl when you see it personally and you're like, oh my gosh, this is this is terrible. Yeah, you know, I, I just feel bad for people at this point because they're they're getting <laughs> sucked into the vanity metrics uh of Facebook and Instagram and they think that they it's all about likes and it's all about comments and it's all about shares and you know the views and the vanity metrics don't matter at all it, it's it's how many of those of those engagements are leading to an external conversation how many of those people are being taken from online to offline you know is your appointment book getting filled up with discovery calls with people that you're networking with about opportunities to create or collaborate or even hire you? Is that happening? And if that answer is no, then you're doing something wrong because it, yep. it's LinkedIn is one of those things that it is so undervalued. It's so underutilized, but it, it's got the highest visibility the highest organic reach and the highest organic engagement on any social media channel right now. It's just people aren't talking about it enough because everybody wants to be an influencer. Everyone, everybody wants to be, you know, quoting the HBO documentary, quote unquote, fake famous. They want to be this influencer yeah. or this micro influencer on Facebook and Instagram because it's feeding some sense of importance or something that, that a void that they have in their life. Listen, success doesn't look like the amount of followers that you have. Success doesn't look like right. how much engagement you're getting. Success happens behind closed doors where no one can see it. And I, I'm a big believer in actions always speak louder than words. So don't tell me what you're going to do. Show me what you're going to do. You know, it's one of those things with LinkedIn that, as you were talking about it, kind of popped into my head thinking about, um, I know you experience it all the time. I'm sure your inbox with LinkedIn is filled up with people hitting you up all the time of those in mail, trying to sell you on something all the time. And I know a lot of business owners yep. like, yeah, it's, it's a pain in the neck because I just get hit up all the time. And I turn to them, and I go, 
why do you think all of them are doing that? Do you think that they they just are like, no, this doesn't work, and I'm just going to keep doing that over and over and over? I'm just going to keep hitting up other business owners, or I'm going to keep hitting up other people that I've targeted specifically, and that they're spending the money to do this over and over because it doesn't work? No, they're doing it because it works, and they're going to keep doing it. Sure, it's a numbers game, but you follow the things that a lot of individuals or businesses are doing Oftentimes it, it's chalked up as, well, it's because everyone's doing it. Everyone's following each other. It's like, yeah, but obviously someone found out that it was successful to begin with. And then the others are like, you know what? What do they do? Oh, they go through LinkedIn and hit people up with InMail. I'm not saying that that's the way to do it, but it's looking at things through a different lens that oftentimes business owners really need to do. Don't just keep thinking about things as, hey, I think this is the best way to do it. Well, are you okay with the results that you keep getting because you think this is the best way to do it? So I, it's it's tremendously helpful to hear that coming from the LinkedIn expert that knows this to be true and uh, continues to preach this. I, I'm curious. So with LinkedIn and it being a different platform, as all social media platforms are, but one thing that you caught me off guard with what you talked about. And I was curious about is, okay, so Instagram mainly about photos that it's a visual platform, Facebook, a combination of those two things. And so certainly content that you're pushing out with these different platforms is dialed in specifically for that audience on Facebook or that audience on Instagram. What do you find being the most successful content that's being put out right now in terms of LinkedIn posts? Videos. It's the the number one way to connect with people on LinkedIn right now. But anything that you choose to do on LinkedIn, whether it's posts, videos, articles, uh, discussions in groups, uh, creating polls to get some market research, everything has to be all about educating your audience and informing your audience, especially from the passenger seat perspective. That's what I talk about and, and doing it from. Don't talk about things from the driver's side perspective, which is what you want to talk about. My agenda. Here's what I want to say. You talk about things from the passenger seat perspective, that ideal client or customer or future collaborator. What is it that they need to hear with what you know that is going to bring them closer to you instead of pushing them further away by you selling and, and pitching yep. them. And why video content is so powerful. Number one, no one will buy anything from anyone they don't know, they don't like, and they don't trust. Yep. So the more vulnerable you can make yourself and the most vulnerable way to make yourself on social media is video content because, again, it's point, click, and shoot. You know, you're videotaping yourself or you're on a live and you're sharing your heart, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. People can see you. They can feel you. They they feel closer to you. So if there was one aspect of LinkedIn that I would really recommend people to go all in on, it, it would be that video content because that's the content that's going to really engage people the right way. And again, bring them closer to you instead of pushing them further away. Excellent point. And I, I will definitely make note of that. And I want to make sure our audience also pays attention specifically to that because it's important that different platforms have different reactions to different content. And we've had guests on our show before that 
super successful with social media and in different platforms, they even have had to realize and had to adapt knowing that can't just put the same content and the same messaging out on all the platforms and expect the same results. It'll do well maybe with one, but it might not have the same impact on others. All right, so let's shift over within LinkedIn specifically. Uh, looking over your own profile, you have hundreds of recommendations you have provided to other professionals, other business owners, other service providers. They work for a company and whatnot. But um, and in case our audience is not familiar with the terminology and kind of the lingo, but uh, recommendations are essentially those uh, reviews, if you will, kind of like what you would see on Yelp or Amazon, but it's for the professional themselves, how well they did, how much of an expert they are in their area or their field. Uh, you yourself have received over 400, uh, recommendations and testimonials from LinkedIn directly. How valuable do you find those recommendations to be for you and your business? It's everything because, I don't have to sell what I do. My credibility speaks for itself. And that's part of the program that we have, expert mm -hmm. authority. You want to become the expert authority in your space. So if someone tries to question why I charge what I charge and the validity of what I do, listen, go read the 400 plus recommendations I have on LinkedIn. Go yep. read the hundred plus uh, reviews, five star reviews of my books. Go read the nearly a hundred reviews uh, on my podcast. So don't take it from me. Listen to what people say because sure. I'm not going to convince you to work with me. I want you to want to work with me, but if you need me to convince you, you're not the right fit. Mm. So for anybody that's listening to this. You want your work that you do for other people to speak for itself so you don't ever have to sell because the value is there. Excellent point. Very good point. All right. So we're talking about those uh, recommendations, and I oftentimes refer to it as the trust factor. Uh, you've built up that trust factor with people as seen on TV, those kind of things. And like you said before, uh, people will not buy your product, buy your service, do anything with you if they don't trust you. That's a big one. I mean, that, that's kind of common knowledge. If you don't trust someone, you're never going to do business with them. You're never going to work with them. That, that's just a, a main point. Uh, but how does one write a good LinkedIn recommendation? So I know for someone receiving a recommendation, you oftentimes don't have a whole lot of say. You'll get maybe someone say, well, hey, what do you want me to say in your recommendation, I love to, I just don't know what to put in there. Either answering that back and saying, hey, if you could put this in, so it'll really help me out. Or even for those that are gonna write recommendations for other people, because I'm a firm believer in giver's gain. Do it first and give it out to people and it'll boomerang back to you. Maybe not exactly the same way that you were intending, but it will come back to you in droves. So what's your recommendation for people on how to write a really good LinkedIn recommendation? Well, and so not only have I received, you know, 400 plus recommendations, but I've I've written over 100 recommendations myself too. I, I've given out. So um, as much as I get them, I try to write them as often as I can. So when I'm writing my recommendations, I always speak 
uh, to the person's character, you know, who they are from a character standpoint. So when someone does read that recommendation, they know exactly who that person is when they're going to connect with them, you know, what they stand for, what their beliefs are, what their value in what they do, how they're a servant leader and they want other people to succeed. That's the mission that they have. So basically, I I make sure that when I'm writing that recommendation, I'm doing it again from that passenger seat perspective. If I was that external person reading the recommendation, what is going to push me over the fence to say, yes, I want to work with this person. So I always make sure when I'm writing that recommendation, it's speaking to that prospective client of my client to make sure that when it's being read, it's going to hit home. It's going to strike a chord and it's going to create trust and a connection between that person and the potential client. Amazing point there. And I, I think you hit on all the pieces that uh, anyone would be blessed and honored to receive a written recommendation from Scott Aaron. So thank you for sharing <laughs> that. And I, I agree with you. I, I pointed out earlier was that it's not just about how many you've received personally, but you have written hundreds of uh, recommendations out to others and business owners and all types of industry, uh, you know, masters in their own own world. So, yes, you obviously know what you're doing. And uh, that certainly backs up that very claim that, hey, I'm an expert in this area and I know it very well. And you get those recommendations yourself in all of your business experience, including owning and operating several seven figure companies. What was the single most difficult marketing experience or challenge you ever faced? And how did you address this challenge? Well, I can't really speak to present day because honestly, it's like the Wild West right now. I, I feel that it's it's with all the technology that's out there, it's easier than ever to get yourself in front of people organically, whether it's through live video, whether it's through audiobook, whether it's through a podcast. There are so many avenues and ways to market yourself now. I would say, you know, the first seven-figure business that, that I had, the gym, that was the biggest challenge because when we got into the gym business, it was in the the mid to late 90s. It was 1997, 1998. So at this point, there really was no no internet. Uh, you know, gyms had websites, but no one really did anything on them, but just read what the gym has. They come in, you know, we had paper contracts. When people signed up at the gym, they had to fill out a paper contract. And, you know, we got the white copy, they got the yellow copy, they got you know, a yep. swipe card that I had to laminate the cards myself. We had a lamination machine where I would have to write their name on a piece of paper the date they joined. I put it in the, in the lamination machine and handed it to them. So it was very old school. Like I, I forget about all that stuff. But with the advent of social media, but in addition to when the Planet Fitnesses started popping up, and the LA fitnesses started popping up where you now had a marketing model where it was all about volume. It wasn't about what people were charging. It's let's charge less, let's spend more on marketing dollars and just get as many people as we can in. And that was the biggest yep. struggle for the mom and pop shops because we didn't have 
the marketing budgets that these large corporations had. We, we didn't have those tools where we had a sales team that we can just go hire and sit and talk to people all day long. You know, it was myself, my mother, my father, my cousin, and our employees. So literally we had to bootstrap it and we had to come up with our own creative ways. But the marketing of that profession, that business, that was probably one of the most challenging things that we had to face because we were constantly head scratching. You know, we were sending out postcards. We were, you know, having people literally direct mail. Like we would hire a guy and he would walk around the neighborhood and stuff mailboxes any way that we could be visibly seen first because we were getting out marketed and we couldn't do anything about it because we didn't have the marketing dollars to get in front of more people. So that was probably the the biggest challenge that that I personally faced in all the businesses that I've had because the industry was growing so fast, so rapidly in so many different ways. It, it really wasn't to our advantage. Interesting. All right. Well, we need to push pause on our conversation with Scott Aaron. When we come back from the short commercial break, we're going to turn up the heat on our conversation and talk about the different hats Scott wears when running expert authority and more. Stay tuned. Thanks for joining us for this discussion with Scott Aaron on his Expert Authority program. We're going to talk about what it means to run a business built on a program as well as other professional endeavors that he has. Uh, So is there a single moment you can point to as the beginning of the program that now is the Expert Authority? I mean, honestly, it comes down to the combination of taking my my wife's superpowers and and my superpowers and combining them into one we we both still run successful individual coaching practices and we always wanted to have something together i mean and they're both our companies cuz i do things for hers and she does sure. things for mine but we always wanted to coach people together and at the end of this year we were thinking you know what can we do to really take people on this four-year journey that we've been on in in building out my business and all the things that I've done and released and she's been a part of every single one of them. And how can we compartmentalize that into 12 months? So in a year's time, Mm. working with people in in a group atmosphere, how can we take them from where they are now to becoming the expert authority in their space. So we we started brainstorming. We joined a program that kind of was giving us the infrastructure of how to put it all together. We had so much already built out from uh, picking and choosing your niche, defining your business avatar, marketing, branding, uh, awareness, visibility, optimization of your social media channels, LinkedIn, uh, all of those things writing a book, self-publishing it, starting your podcast, blogging, because we we're doing all of that. So we yep. already had the structure built out. And that's when we decided to join forces and, and start moving away from so much one-on-one and do more group. 
which is what we launched in January, and that was the the Expert Authority Program, and it, it's going unbelievably well because now we've curated and created this community of hungry people that are in it for all the same reason. They are in it to become the expert authority within their space. So they're supporting one another, they're networking with each other, and they're they're doing everything that we're suggesting them to do. And we, we've built out a path for them to go down and all they have to do is plug into it, follow it. And by the end of these 12 months, they are going to get spit out on the other end, the expert authority in their space. I really appreciate you sharing that because I think something that comes to my mind when you say even just the the words expert authority, uh, I instantly think about kind of that lone wolf at the top of the mountain that's howling because he or she has conquered the mountain. They are top dog. They're up there. They're there. They are the pinnacle of expertise for that industry. And it oftentimes paints a picture for, I think, a lot of people as that solo, lonely, you know, you got to go at it alone and it, it by yourself. But you mentioning that, no, there is a community actually of other experts that we've built that come together to help support each other. So it might be the mountain over across the way that also has a lone wolf, but they're supporting this one that's over here on this mountain and this mountaintop. And they're communicating and that howling is their communication to one another like, hey, I got here, success to me, but now I don't really know what to do from here on out. And it's the other wolf across the way going, hang in there. I'm a few steps ahead of you. And this is what I did. This is what I figured out. And being able to do that networking and communicating, it's not just that lone wolf. It's a community. Uh, You and I have also talked about this before, too. It's however you want to reference it, the island approach where you're an island of one, but then you zoom out and you go, whoa, wow, there's a whole chain of islands around me. Yes, it it might feel like a lonely path, but you have to look around you and go, oh, there's others that are also on this path, but just at different stages, different paths that they're taking. But there's a lot of similarities between all of them. 100%. And and that's the thing is, an army of two is twice as strong as an army of one. And what we're loving about the group coaching is that there's just a certain energy that, you know, we bring to the the group every single week because we meet on a weekly basis. You know, we train them one week on a, a new subject and a topic. And then the following week is not a new lesson. It's hot seat Q&A and, and coaching because we want to make sure that they're extremely clear on what we went over the week before, before we add on another layer to the program. And we're already getting feedback, you know, the clarity that they're having already, because when you start with, and again, we've built out literally the structure from A to Z, what you need to do to, to become that expert authority. And that's why we started with your niche, because if you don't know what niche you want to plug into and what you want to become the authoritative expert in, nothing else is going to fall into place. But once you define that niche, now we're going to talk about your avatar. You know, are they male or female? How old are they? Yep. What color is their hair? What music do they listen to? What books do they read? What podcasts yep. they listen to? Literally putting a name to them. And then now that we have your niche and your avatar, how do we create a marketing strategy to speak to them? So then we get into the content creation and the branding and your yep. colors and your messaging and your vision. And it's just so fun because we're able to share this with this community 
of what we've done with our businesses over the last four years, just in a more simplified and streamlined way where it's plug and play and go. And they're getting directed by two experts. You know, Nancy and I are experts in our space. We know what we're doing. We've we've done the do and we're doing the do still. So even though we're now teaching this, we're still doing it each and every day for our own businesses. All right. So I'm going to paint this picture for you. And because you mentioned and gave us a little background for those that didn't know that Microsoft actually purchased LinkedIn a few years back, uh, we're going to use uh, the pinnacle of when you say Microsoft, who do you think of? You think of Bill Gates. Uh, So Bill Gates is on an elevator. You just happen to step on that elevator. There's no one else on in that cable car going up that is with you. And you have a chance. You got 60 seconds to pitch Mr. Gates all about expert authority. I'm curious to see what Scott Aaron's ability is to pitch Bill Gates in 60 seconds of what expert authority is. And with the kind of context that there might be a possibility that he either invests heavily or just cuts your check for $5.3 billion right then on the spot. And he just happened to have his checkbook in his pocket. And he's, he's just going to say, I'll buy expert authority because you convinced me that this is, this is a thing. So I went 60 seconds. I, I'm going to, we're going to put the counter on the clock and we're going to see uh, what your ability is for that pitch to Mr. Gates. So you want to count down or do you, you just want to go and, and just say, forget it. I got this. I can just go. Go for it. So, you know, I would say, Mr. Gates, pleasure and an honor to, you know, share this elevator with you. I uh, just wanted to discuss something that my wife and I are doing. We've, in all the conversations that we've been having with entrepreneurs, we discovered there's a couple holes and gaps and they're not clear on their vision. They do not know their marketing strategy. They're not sure who they should be marketing to. So we've created a program called the Expert Authority Program that teaches them how to get clear with their branding, with their marketing, with their avatar, with their niche, and at the same time, helping them create the content that ends up being the chapters to the book that they're going to write, that it's going to be the episodes to the podcast that they're going to launch and the titles to the blogs that they're going to write. And this is our mission. And if this is something that is of interest to you, would love to talk about how we can create or collaborate together on this project. Oh, wow. That was good. That was really good. Well done. That that I think I might have to write your recommendation and reference Mr. Gates on that <laughs> one as well. So hopefully he sees it and, and checks that out because that that was that was so well done. We don't want to waste it. We actually want to put it into reality and, and put it out there for Mr. Gates to come across. But uh, who knows? What well, you never know until you put it out there, right? So just got to do it. Well, I, I, I gave it. him the option. I, I gave him the option. We yeah. could create something together or collaborate. So I, I put the ball in his court and he can let me know what the answer is. So, you know, leave it up to him. That That is a true salesman right there. It wasn't a yes or no. It was which option would you like? So, yes, very well done. All right. How important. And you've mentioned her name in passing. I kind of want to go back to the very beginning of the show. You mentioned that in no way, shape, or form ever in your life, moving forward, will you ever have a boss? And kind of joking about this a little bit, but you have a wife and you have kids. So I have to say, 
that is not accurate. You do have a boss. You just don't realize that <laughs> you have had a boss all this time for the years. I, I plainly I joke about that because I know for those of us who truly appreciate and admire and just love our spouses, we don't look at them as bosses. That is the negative uh, imagery that has been painted sadly over the years uh, for us men to look at our spouses in a negative light. But I joke about that. So moving to all the flowers and the love and the compassion and just admiration that you have towards your wife, Nancy, uh, she is your co-founder and she's also so on the business side, co-founder, she's on the personal side, she's the wife. And both of those, the similarity is there's a partnership there. Uh, so how important is your wife to the success of Expert Authority? My life and business would not be what it is if it wasn't for her. That is an absolute fact. She, you know, we, we talk about the fact that we water each other. And with what I'm doing now, it couldn't be done without her. And and she would say the same mm -hmm. thing about me because the the strengths that she has are my weaknesses and the weaknesses that she has are, are my strengths and we play to that. And everything that we do is about communication and openness and listening to one another, whether it's on a, a, a personal or a business plane. And we know with all all the people that we talk to how special and unique it is for a husband and wife entrepreneur team to run a company together. And we don't fight. We don't argue. Uh, we have the, I mean, we laugh every single day. We just, we have so much fun doing what we're doing. And, you know, are there, you know, wall kicking moments? Absolutely. But uh, her support, her love, her knowledge, uh, her care, you know, not just for me, but for our company, uh, it's everything. And there wouldn't be no expert authority if there wasn't Nancy Aaron. That's well said. And uh, I know you mean every every part of that. Uh, I know I was joking and kind of leading it up to a joke in the very beginning, but I know where your heart is. I know where your true your trueness uh, when it comes to her especially is. Um, and, and you can hear that through your description and your tone as you share that. So I thank you for, for opening up and being real. Not that you haven't been real this whole time, but that's even that extra layer. That's that extra level of realness that a lot of people, especially it's not a common thing that we see. I think it's becoming more and more of a societal approval of the male figure being more soft. Some might describe it, but I think it's not soft. It's more about being real. It's opening up because we can be sensitive too. You know, we're not just a hard exterior. We also have a heart. We also have a mind. We also have feelings as well. So I appreciate you sharing that with us and on the show today. Um, so talking about also about family again, because your business is, uh, there are quite a few of them that are partnerships out there, but not a lot of them are successful in being able to balance the personal and work life together. It oftentimes the struggles become is how do you disconnect from, okay, we're in work mode 
And now we're over in personal life mode and being able to clearly define and, and isolate those two. But how do you successfully meet the work-life balance when it comes to your family? And I'll kind of add to this is you and I have talked a little bit about this before, and it really struck me as one of our first conversations, I think it was within the first five, maybe 10 minutes, you made it very clear what your your structure of your work schedule is, and it was all pertaining to your family. So I want you to share that with our audience and our listeners, because I think it's something that uh, I think most that have been listening thus far go and assume, wow, he how does he sleep, let alone have a family? I mean, you're just you got all these successful businesses and all these endeavors and you're coaching people. And I mean, that's got to take a lot of time. How in the world do you do the work-life balance? Well, first thing, there is no such thing as work-life balance. There's going to be an imbalance in some way, shape or form, whether it's work, life, business, personal. It's about finding a, a happy medium in between all of that. And what's really helped me is, well, family comes first and foremost. So everything I do is for my family, but everything that I want to do is with my family. So, Mm. uh, you know, um, my son's schedule changed uh, again. Uh, He's back in school four days a week. So I actually had to pick him up uh, Mondays and Tuesdays now. And and I had to do a podcast at 2.30, couldn't reschedule it. He popped in, came in to give me a hug and a kiss. And you know, he, he was on the podcast, but that's, that's just about life. But as far as how my day is structured, um, I'm very, very diligent about creating boundaries around my time. So my wife and I have a very, very specific uh, and honored morning routine. We get up at six, we take the dogs for a walk, we work out. We then have breakfast and coffee, talk about our day, and then we do nothing before 10 a.m. So no business. That's our rule in the house. Nothing before 10 a.m. Eastern. And for us, um, as an entrepreneur, just like you said, you can you can go down that that entrepreneurial hole and never come back up for air. And before you know it, it's two in the morning. So for us, we actually started putting that boundary is we will be sitting down and having dinner every single night of the week together. So we cook every night. Our day cuts off at six. That's it. 10 to six, whatever we can squeeze in between. If there's a couple things that she needs to touch up or touch on with our team, um, just a couple emails, that's fine. But there's no coaching. There's no calls after 6 p.m. Eastern. For me, uh, I don't work on Wednesdays anymore. My son is is the one day that he's remote learning. He's he's here remote learning on Wednesdays. So he's done school by two or three o'clock. I don't bother setting up calls because once I'm checked out, once I'm not in work mode, I can't get into work mode. It's, it's kind of difficult for me. Sure. And then on Fridays, I started taking uh, half days. I, I don't want to wait for the weekend. I want the weekend to be here when I want it to be. So I usually only work till about noon on Fridays. So I only work three and a half days a week. I don't take any calls or do any communication over the weekend. If you message me, you email me over the weekend, you're not going to hear back until Monday. Because if I open that email up and respond, it's going to open up communication, but it's also going to let that person know that if they ever email me again on the weekend, I'm going to respond. So I need to be very mindful of that. The The big goal that I had last year that I still have this year 
is having a, a hundred and twenty, um, hundred and eighty days off uh, the, during the year. So working six months, not working six months. So I, I calculated that if I only worked three and a half days a week, um, every every month that translates to um, twelve days off a month, where I'm only working eighteen. And if I take that um, that twelve and I multiply that by twelve months, that's one hundred and forty four days off right there. So mm. I'm only sixteen days away from being able to make that happen. And and if you take into consideration, you know, July fourth or Memorial Day or Labor Day, yep. um, new, wh- whatever it is, now I'm getting closer sure. to that one hundred uh, and eighty days. So that's my big goal because. Life is not about working. Um, life is just about living, and work just kind of fits in between all of that and allows you to propel forward. I'm curious. Do you feel that the early days of you running your gyms and successful ones at that allowed you and trained you at that time on how to properly compartmentalize your schedule based on you were going to school at that same time? So you've got a business to run and you've got a full load, as you described, a full load of classes and homework and tests to study for and papers to write, all the things that go along with it. Do you feel like that was kind of maybe the the catalyst to train you at that time on how to compartmentalize? I wouldn't say that. I, I would say more when I got into full-time personal training mm. because when when you become a personal trainer you know i was bopping around all around the city and i had to be very mindful of my time how long it was going to take me to get to one place to another you know i would train from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. every single day i was doing about 80 hours of personal training a week that's you know 320 Jeez. hours a month yeah and i mean was the money good yeah but you know i was trading time for dollars but I got very structured and routine and I am, I, I block, like if you see my calendar, it's color coded, it's, it's blocked off. Um, I, I block time off of my calendar so people can't book. Like literally it becomes impossible to get into my calendar if I've put certain blocks of time in there. So the, the repetition and the routine of being a personal trainer, the structure, the demand for, uh, following a specific methodology prepped me for everything that I'm doing now, but it was a big shift because I had to break the mold, so to speak, of yep. trading that time for dollars because I've never not worked as much as I'm working right now. I'm used to working, you know, 12, 16 hours a day. I, I mean, I, I did a little bit of work this morning. I, I worked from 10 to 11.30 this morning. And then picked up my front son from school and then was off until 2.30. And then I'm working from 2.30 until 6. So I'm only working five hours today. So sure. that's kind of normal now. And and yeah. again, once I got in that, like gone are the days of me working all day, all night. And here are the days of being able to go for a walk in the cul-de-sac at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or just taking a drive 
uh, in the area just to get some fresh air and, you know, having the the wind blow in my bald head, whatever it is. You know, it's just it's one of those things where you 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 create that time to live right now, not live later. Excellent. What in your mind are the most consistently important qualities among the successful executives and entrepreneurs that you've worked with? And I, I, I'll preface to say, let's, let's stick to three, because I'm sure there's a laundry list of consistent patterns that you've picked up on. And with the experience of working with so many entrepreneurs, so many small businesses, executives at, you know, they're, they're the emperors of their domain. But what are some, let's pick three of your top ones that you're like, look, I, I can safely say that these three are what I've seen be successful. And if you have those, not that it's going to make or break you, that's going to be the only thing that makes you successful. But these are the three things that I constantly see. They work out, they eat healthy, and they get plenty of sleep. That's it. Mm. I was, All the top I was performers. not expecting those. I was, I was expecting something like, you know, hey, you're, you're, you're reading constantly to get your mind going and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, which makes sense. I mean, your background, your expertise, when you first early days being in the health industry, that makes a lot of sense coming from you. But I, I'm fascinated that those were the three. It seems like you already had the question ahead of time, which you did not. So oh, uh, no. I, I, I'm shocked a, a bit that those were the three you laid them out. But excellent point. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have your health, you have nothing. So what 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 good are we if we're we're sick and, and unhealthy? Then you don't have the energy to show up for your clients. You you don't have uh, the mobility that you need to you know work and and do certain things. If you listen to Tony Robbins, if you listen to Robin Sharma and all the top thought leaders, they talk about having this strict morning routine. The first thing that Robin Sharma does when he wakes up is he moves his body for 15 minutes. The first thing that Tony Robbins does, he jumps into that ice cold water to shock his system and he gets a workout in and he eats healthy. You know, everything that we do is fuel for how we live. So that's why our morning starts with a workout and a healthy breakfast and why we cut it off at six o'clock is so we can be in bed at eight o'clock at night laying in bed, unwinding, watching a couple shows and going to sleep so we're well rested because I've never slept this much in my entire life because I used to go to bed 9.30, 10 o'clock at night and then I would have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. So I was lucky to get six hours of sleep. Now we're going to bed at 10.30, 11 o'clock and I'm, I'm getting between seven to eight hours of sleep every single night on the weekends Sometimes we'll sleep till seven thirty, eight o'clock, and I'll get nine hours of sleep. Yeah. And I've I've never felt better, you know. And I again, I've had that health and, and wellness background, but I feel like that's also, you know, been advantageous. And my wife said to me actually this morning, and she goes, um, she goes, I never really knew the importance of 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 eating healthy and and practicing, you know, good healthy habits till I started to, you know you know, date you and be with you because now I understand how important that is to, you know, fuel your body, you know, every single day. So you don't have those, you know, afternoon crashes and, and you're feeling good. You know, again, if we don't have our health, we have nothing. And that's why that is my first priority because it's a catalyst for everything else. 
Excellent point. I love that. I love the description on those. And your three all feed into one another. You're sleeping, eating healthy, uh, living a healthy lifestyle that feeds into you being healthy holistically that now you're able to pour all of your energy and effort in a very compact way into your time, into your schedule to accomplish what you need to do. All right. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us on the Ignite Your Business radio show. But before we wrap things up, I do have just a few more questions for you. You've been a a great sport hanging in there, uh, taking all the the beatings that I've given you on the questions. And I, I very much appreciate it. Uh, so any projects on the horizon, a new book, uh, maybe a new podcast, maybe what, what's on the horizon for 2021? We've heard about the goals of your your lifestyle and making sure that it's a, it's a balancing act with work and life. But what's what's maybe a, a accomplishment you're hoping to reach within 2021? Yeah, we're, we're looking uh, by the end of the year to have taken 75 people through our expert authority program. So helping those 75 people uh, write and self-publish their first book, launch their podcast, whatever it is they want to achieve, uh, that, that's our big goal. And we have 23 people going through the program now after our first uh, launch. Uh, we're reopening the doors in about two more weeks to allow some more people to come through. And we're going to do it a couple mm-hmm. more times. So you know, the goal is help those 75 uh, entrepreneurs that really want to become the expert authority in their space um, help them to do that this year. So that that's our, our big, big goal for this year. Well, no doubt you will certainly reach that. I can tell already that you're already on the pathway. You've lined it up. You've looked at it, how many you need to do within a certain period of time. It's already, it's already structured for that. So no doubt that you will accomplish that. Uh, you've logged appearances in Forbes and Yahoo Finance. Uh, do you have... Any experience amongst this from the outside work that you particularly enjoyed? Was there one of those platforms that really stood out to you being like, man, I really enjoyed doing that one, maybe for Forbes or y'all. Maybe it's one that's not even as well known as those that you're like, man, that that was one of them. I just, I really got a lot out of it. Personally, business, I just, it was what you put up on the shelf as a trophy, even though it's kind of an imaginary one, maybe. But it's one of those in mentally you put it up in your mind, go, that's something to be always looking at being proud of. Yeah, I mean, the Yahoo Finance, when they contacted me that I was going to be featured uh, last summer as one of the 10 uh, or the 15 entrepreneurs to watch during COVID-19, that that was a huge honor. But I would say I was featured twice in Authority Magazine, Mm. um, which is a a subscription uh, of Media Magazine. And that's exactly what I stand for. You know, I, I was I wrote two articles on uh, how to grow your business using LinkedIn in Authority Magazine. So if there was any real culmination in, in what I stand for and what I stood for in how I leveraged LinkedIn, it was featured in uh, a magazine that was complete in alignment with what I stand for, which is becoming that authoritative expert. So I was honestly most proud of that. And uh, and for those those publications, I mean, the Yahoo Finance was great. Forbes was great for the couple of years that I was a contributor. But um, when when uh, when Medium reached out to me and wanted to feature me in uh, Authority Magazine, that was uh, that was awesome. I, uh, you know, was very, very grateful that they even thought to include me. Amazing. All right. 
What was the last book that you read or you're currently reading? And now as a parent, I like to preface to say that can be a child's book, you know, children's book. I mean, it was maybe the one you read, read last night for uh, your kids, but uh, it can also be an audio book. What, what's that book that's like, I just finished. It doesn't even have to be a business book. It can be something else that you just randomly read. And, and I'm curious to see what that would be. Yeah, I mean, the, the book that I most recently read is uh, it's called The Live Launch Method by Kelly Roach. Um, for anyone that has a, an online group coaching program, wonderful, wonderful read. Uh, but the two books that I always go back to, um, I could say Captain Underpants because that's what Taylor loves to read. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I always go back to Go For No by Andrea Waltz and Richard Fenton. And uh, mine and my, my wife's Bible is uh, The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles. It's the first money mindset book ever written. And, uh, you know, so obviously the live launch method by Kelly Roach was the most recent, but my two go-tos that I recommend to everyone um, is Go For No and The Science of Getting Rich. Well done. All right. Last question, I promise. This is the last one. What is your favorite quote or motivational quote? And I kind of describe this as it's kind of the the cerebral jolt to the brain it's the you know you're you're kind of feeling down and out or you're tired and you're like i don't want to go work out this morning i want to sleep until 10 a.m and just enjoy it it's tattoo that you've got on you it's got something up in your bedroom wall maybe that's big bold or you got something on your your nightstand you turn over and it looks looks you square in the face and says nope you're getting up and you're getting going and you're going to go conquer what you need to conquer today. What is that quote for you? The more often you fail, the more often you will succeed. Hmm. I like that one. I, that's some, that's some deep thinking right there. The more often you fail, the more often you succeed as you can't succeed. Your failures failure. open. The, yeah. Yeah, your failures open the doors to your successes. Well so the more you're gonna, you're, the more you're gonna be willing to fail. The more you're gonna be willing to figure out how to succeed. That is very true. All right. While Scott and I continue our conversation, visit igniteradioshow.com. Look for this very episode. There you can hear our entire conversation. How to get in touch with him. Learn more about expert authority, including additional resources available for his coaching services and other information we have been discussing today. I hope the information that Scott Aaron shared today helped light the fuse inside of you and ends up taking your business to the next level. I'd like to thank our guests today, our production team, our engineering team, and most of all, all of you listening. Until next week, I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. Have a great and successful rest of the week, everybody. 